morning we're going to be in 1 John chapter 1, so turn there this morning. 1 John chapter 1. Not the Gospel of John, but 1 John. There are three letters that uh, John wrote. He also wrote the Gospel of John, but he wrote 1 John, 2 John, and 3 John, and he also wrote the book of Revelation. So this is going to be near the back of your Bible. Three small letters. 1 John would be the largest of the three. And it's a general epistle. In other words, it, it is not written to a specific church or a specific group of people. It's written to all believers. And uh, so if you're a believer in Jesus Christ this morning, then, then John has something for us uh, this morning. He has a purpose. He has a motivation for writing. He's the last living apostle. And it's probably A.D. 90 or 95. The church had grown. The church had become uh, larger in numbers and, and uh, a little bit more uh, in strength. And, and, um, and it, was, it, it was a factor at this point. It was also being persecuted. And so as John writes these letters, he's, he's writing to all believers that they would, they would have some understanding of, of the different things that he's, that he's putting down. And he writes some very important things in the first chapter and in, in all of the chapters. This morning we're going to go through uh, chapter 1, uh, ch from chapter 1 to chapter 2, verse 2. And here are some of the purposes. His first purpose would be declaring for declaring these things to the believers is that they would have fellowship with God and with Jesus and with each other. Look at uh, 1 and verse 3. That which we have seen and heard, we declare to you that you also may have fellowship with us. And truly our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. Second uh, purpose and motivation for writing is that all believers would have an extreme amount of joy, that their joy would be full. Look at uh, verse 4 of chapter 1. And these things we write to you that your joy may be full. So he states it pretty clearly. I'm writing this. We're writing this to you. This is our message to you. And we're writing for this purpose that your joy may be full. His third purpose is that, uh, he would, that his little children that he's writing to would keep from sin. Look at chapter 2 and verse 1. Chapter 2 and verse 1. My little children, these things I write to you so that you may not sin. His fourth purpose, we won't be covering this verse this morning, but it is a purpose for writing this book that he declares. It's chapter 5 and verse 13, so flip over there. And it's that they may know that they have eternal life and that they will continue to believe on Jesus Christ. 5 and 13, these things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God. So he identifies who he's writing to right there, all believers. That you may know, that you may know that you have eternal life and that you may continue to believe in the name of the Son of God. John's motivation is purpose, fellowship with God, fullness of joy, forsaking of sin, assurance of salvation. I'll sum it up in a, in a short sentence. Fellowship with God brings us great joy, keeps us from sin, and assures us of eternal life. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your goodness this morning, and as we come to your word, we, we just ask, Lord, that you would uh, clear our, our, our thoughts and, and our mind, uh, Lord, from, from the things that would distract us, and fill our minds up, Lord, with the, with the purposes of, of why your Holy Spirit had John write this book. 
this chapter. Lord, that we would be able to understand it and, and receive it just as he wrote it, just as you intended it. Lord, we pray that uh, our time together in Bible study would be pleasing in your sight. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. John 1 and verse 1. 1 John 1 and verse 1. John writes, That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and our hands have handled concerning the word of life. So John takes us back to Genesis 1 and 1. John takes us back to his gospel, the gospel of John and 1 1. Genesis 1 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. John, the gospel of John 1 1. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. Look at verse 2. The life, the life of Jesus, was manifested or shown or revealed, and we have seen and bear witness and declare to you that eternal life which was with the Father and was manifested to us or shown to us. And with this verse, John takes us to his gospel once again in John 1 and 14 when he wrote this, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory, the glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. John says, we held on to him. We saw him with our eyes. We hung out with him. We felt his, his pat on our back. We felt the embrace when, when we greeted him. We saw him. God was here. God was here in the flesh. The word became flesh. We had fellowship with the living God. Now at the time of writing, John was aware of false teaching that had gone out to the church and had begun and still yet even continues today to a certain extent. And it was a Gnostic heresy, a Gnostic teaching. And they taught that all matter was evil. All matter, everything that we see, the earth and everything in it, and including our flesh, which is matter, is evil. And so because of that, Jesus could not, did not, come in the flesh, they said. That he was uh, at, at best maybe a shadow or an emanation that looked like he was in the flesh, but he really wasn't in the flesh because God couldn't step into evil because all matter is evil. <clears throat> in 1 Corinthians, Paul says this, Moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel. I declare to you the gospel message, which I preached to you, which also you received, and you stand, and you were saved by it. We're saved, and we stand, and we receive the gospel of Jesus Christ. So therefore, we need to know what it says and what that message says and, ha and have integrity in that message. And Paul says this, If you hold fast that word which I preached to you, unless you believe in vain, for I delivered to you, first of all, that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins, according to the Scriptures, that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. You see, why is it important that Jesus Christ came in the flesh? Why is John saying, we touched him, we held him, we beheld him with his eyes, we saw? Why is that important? The integrity of the gospel, the integrity of the gospel, that Jesus Christ indeed 
took on human flesh and died for us. That he was tempted in all ways, yet without sin. You see, if he didn't come in the flesh, then he didn't die in the flesh. And he wasn't buried in the flesh. And he didn't rise again in the flesh. And he didn't conquer sin and death. You see, sin kills. Sin kills. The Bible says that if you sin, you die. That's the result of sin. And, and, but the Bible also has a clear message. That as they would take that lamb, the, the children of Israel, and the high priest would take it and, and sacrifice that innocent lamb for the people, that that, that that sin would be covered for that year. And that was to be a picture of Jesus Christ coming and taking on human flesh and dying for us, the innocent for the guilty. You see, and he came in, in human flesh, and he lived that perfect life so that he could be that perfect sacrifice. That is the gospel. John writes these things to protect the gospel for the integrity of the gospel message from this false teaching. He says, we touched him. We saw him. We had real fellowship with God in the flesh. We saw the water pots when they were water, and we saw them turn to wine. We saw when he actually spit on the ground, and then he made a little patty, and he put it on the blind man's eyes, and he could see. You see, we saw when we were out there that day in the wilderness, and there were thousands, and we didn't have much food, and all of a sudden, it just started to appear. We saw it. We watched it. We were there the night that he got arrested. We watched his body get beaten. John would say, I watched him die. I watched him breathe his last breath. And then three days later, I watched as he ate breakfast with us by the sea. God in human flesh. God in human flesh. Look at verse 3. That which we have seen and heard, we declare to you that you also, catch that, that you also may have fellowship with us. And truly our fellowship, yours and mine, is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. John is declaring these words for this purpose, that you also might have fellowship. What we touched and what we got to experience and the embrace that we got Jesus isn't in the flesh for you, but I want you to have that kind of fellowship. I want you to have that kind of intimate relationship with Jesus Christ. Fellowship. Fellowship means to communicate, to have communication with, to have communion or a coming together, a partnership, participation with, communion. John says... We did all those things. We communicated with the living God in human flesh. We, we had communion with him. We participated in, in, in ministry with him. And I want, I want you to have that fellowship as well. Look at verse 4. And these things we write, once again, his purpose. These things we write to you that your joy may be full. That your joy may be full. That as a Christian you would be filled up with joy. Not just a little bit every once in a while, but filled with joy. Now joy isn't happiness. Happiness comes and goes, doesn't it? And sometimes it's, it's predicated on, on my circumstances. I'm not real happy 
You see, I'm real happy the, the day that I get my new car. I'm not real happy if I have a fender bender the day after I bought it. It comes and goes, but joy, the joy, that inner peace from knowing God, from having a relationship with the living God, from being right before a living God and, and having, and having uh, communion and fellowship with my brothers and sisters. John 10.10, 10, Jesus said this, I have come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. Fullness of joy. In, in Psalm 16 and 11, the psalmist says, you will show me the path of life. In your presence is fullness of joy. In your presence is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. In your presence, did you catch that? In your fellowship is fullness of joy. See, John wanted them to have fellowship because he knew it led to great joy. He knew it led to great joy in their life. So John's motivation, fellowship with God and each other equals joy. Fellowship with God and each other equals joy. How's your fellowship? How's your fellowship? I can declare to you this morning that I'm, I'm a blessed man. That before I was married, my wife and I both had dedicated our lives to the Lord and received the Lord, and we get to have fellowship. I can declare to you that throughout the years, I've had many friends that I've been able to talk with about, about the Lord because we share that in common. And I've entered a, a fellowship with them. I had one friend when I worked at a church camp up in Washington State. We worked in a church camp, and it would get you know, late at night, and sometimes we would just go out to a hill that we used to call our snow sledding hill in the wintertime, and we would just get on our knees and pray to the Lord together. No hindrances. Fellowship. Fellowship. Entering into that fellowship with each other and with the Lord. How's your fellowship? How's your fellowship with the Word? You see, when you open the Word in the morning, it's not just a check-off list, I did my devotions. It's fellowship with the Lord. It's fellowship with the Lord through the Bible, through His Word that has purpose in your life. You see, when we come to Bible study, it's fellowship. We're fellowshipping as brothers and sisters in Christ. See, when we walk into this place and we begin the service and, and, and we're worshiping the Lord, and some of us raise our hands and some of us don't, we're worshiping in fellowship. That's part of the fellowship. So I'm going to chide you guys that come a little late. As long as we get in before the study starts, we're okay. You're missing out on that fellowship. You're missing out on that fellowship. To talk about worship for just a second. Because I think sometimes this is a barrier that if we don't get through it, 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 will, it will cross over into our fellowship with each other and, and with God. You see, if you can't come in here and at times maybe raise your hands or be stirred by the emotion uh, of, of the fact that, that God loves us and that he died for us as a Christian, and see, you're concerned about how you might sound or how you might look. Then, then you're missing out on, and on, on getting and taking part of that fellowship of worship. God is pleased when his people get together and they raise their voices together. The fellowship of worship. Now, I can remember a time when I was young and... 
I was probably 11 or 12 years old, and, and we lived in Visalia, California, and we were, we were at the first uh, Baptist church. And we're in worship time in the, in the pews, and, and of course, we're singing hymns, and, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm you know, praying and entering in, you know, onward, Christian soldier. That was my favorite song, right? Because that just got you going, for those of you that are a little bit older. And I'm singing, and all of a sudden, my sister, who's two years older, she's standing, standing next to me, and she goes, Robbie, don't sing. So, Why not? Your breath smells like dog poop. <laughs> Only she didn't say dog poop, and we're in church. This just zapped my fellowship, you know. The fact of the matter is I just busted out laughing. You know, one of those when you're in church and you start laughing and you know you shouldn't and your sides are just killing because you, yeah, it was one of those moments. God doesn't care. God does not care that your breath smells, that you can sing good. He cares about the condition of your heart to enter fellowship and I would propose to you, if you've never entered into that fellowship, I'm also going to suggest that, guys, this is more of a problem for us. Because it's not cool. It feels weird. I just, I can't take that step. You see? And the enemy is robbing you of worshiping and coming together in fellowship. Fellowship through prayer. Fellowship through worship. Fellowship through fellowshipping with others. You know, we're fellowshipping with the Lord as we get together and talk about Him. And then we move on to fellowship and serving together as well. John wants all of this for them. And he, and he wrote this, Because we have this close fellowship with God, you can have this fel close fellowship with God, and I want you to have this close fellowship with God. That which we have seen and heard, we declare to you that you may also have fellowship with us. And truly our fellowship is with the Father and his Son, Jesus Christ. And these things I write to you that your joy may be full. That your joy may be full. Maybe 2015, all of the things that you said you were going to do, maybe half of them have already gone by the wayside. And we're not even out of January. You know, it's not too late to have another resolution. That if you haven't entered this kind of fellowship, and many of you have, and I know it. I've had it with some of you. But I know some don't, and some haven't. You know, and if God's pricked your heart this morning, and as we're halfway through our study this morning, and, 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 and we're realizing God wants this for us, just pray to him. Say, Lord, Lord, I need fellowship. Sometimes it can be hard. It can be hard in a big church. But you can find it. And if you pray for it, since God wants you to have it, since John wanted you to have it, and you're, and you're genuinely praying it, he will bring it into your life. He will be faithful. He will be faithful. Look at verse 5. And this is a little bit of a transition, although, although the, the, uh, the Scripture works together. But it's a little bit of transition from fellowship and joy 
to sin. What a downer, right? We're not fellowship and joy and, you know, sin. Yeah. Because, you see, John wants all believers to know what their relationship to sin is. He also wants unbelievers to know what their relationship to sin is as well. And he details that out in these next few verses. Look at verse 5. This is the message which we have heard from him and declare to you. That God is light and in him is no darkness at all. In him is no darkness at all. You see, the second lie that John is dealing with from this Gnostic heresy, this false teaching, is that since matter is uh, intrinsically evil and the spirit is good, as long as you're in the spirit, it's okay. It's all right. Never mind about your flesh. Your flesh is going to be sinful. It is sinful. It's inherently sinful. Can't do anything about it. Don't worry about it. You're, you're going to be all right. That was part of the heresy. And I would submit that that's part of the heresy today, even in, even in the church and in the world. Jesus had this to say about that in John 8 and 12. It says, Then Jesus spoke to them again, saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. And in John 12 and 35, it says, Then Jesus said to them, A little while longer the light is with you. Walk while you have the light, lest darkness overtake you. He who walks in darkness does not know where he is going. John is about to make three if statements in the next few verses that we're going to go over. And these if statements are if we say something, if we do something, it's wrong. It's a lie. And it's a, and it's, it's a, it's a wrong view of sin. And then he's going to follow it up with the truth. He's going to follow it up with the truth. Look at verse 6. If we say that we have fellowship, look at there's that word fellowship again. If we say that we have fellowship in him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. John writes, you can't have fellowship with God and continue in sin. You can't have fellowship with God and continue in sin. You see, he, he knew what fellowship was all about. He knew the, the joy of being in fellowship with God, and he wants us to have that. And he knew that sin would interrupt their fellowship with God. It certainly does with the unbeliever, and it certainly does with the believer as well. And so he wants them to understand that it matters. That, that, that sin does matter. But if we say we have fellowship with him and walk in the darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. Now, I can remember watching a documentary on the television about Elvis Presley. And it was some years ago, and, and I, I don't really remember anything about the documentary, but the one thing that stood out to me. Elvis is in the back of his limousine with his entourage and uh, his guys that he did business with, and he's, he's talking about his escapade the night before with a certain woman the night before. And all of a sudden, he looks at the camera as if he got caught, right? 
and he didn't know the camera was on, and he breaks in to a gospel hymn. And his buddies just, just kind of laugh. That's not the way it works. Sin matters. We cannot walk in darkness and say we have fellowship with God. We cannot walk in darkness and say we have fellowship with God. Now, walk is an interesting word. You see, it's pretty obvious to all of you that if I wanted, I could walk into the sanctuary. Well, what would I be doing? I would be walking my body into the sanctuary or the, the, the foyer, right? I would be walking my body if I went to the cafe, into the cafe. Well, guess what? When we go into darkness, we walk our bodies into darkness. We can walk our minds into darkness. We can walk our emotions into darkness. The lie, it doesn't really matter. The truth, look at verse 7. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship. There's that word fellowship again. We have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we walk in the light. And as sure as I can walk into the foyer, as, soon as, as sure as I can walk into darkness, I can walk into the light. And that's the solution. Praise the Lord. Thank you, John, that you just didn't leave us, you know, without telling us. Walk in the light. Walk your thoughts into the light. Walk your emotions into the light. You know, a lot of people say, well, that's just the way I feel. Great. It's sin. Can't control how I feel. Yes, you can. Yes, you can. By the power of the Holy Spirit, recognizing, you know what? I'm, I'm feeling some unbiblical thoughts. I'm feeling some darkness, and I'm not going to excuse it any longer. I'm going to walk those feelings into the light. You see? Paul said this in, in Romans 6 and 1. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? You know, shall we just yeah, sin more and more because God's grace then will be more and more upon us? And he says, certainly not. How can we who have died to sin live any longer in it? Walking in the light is tied with our fellowship with each other and our fellowship with the Lord. I unfortunately have to see it from time to time when a brother or a sister is, uh, you know, comes to Rocky Mountain, we get to know them, and they're normally always here, and then all of a sudden, they're not here. And then I might see them six months later, four months later, whatever it is. Hey, where you been? They walk themselves into darkness for a time, and it hurt their fellowship. It hurt their fellowship. Now, grace is grace, and, and they're saved, predicated that they identify their sin and turn from it, you see, and don't believe the lie, 
that you can walk in darkness and somehow be saved. That you can walk in darkness and somehow have fellowship with, the God, with God. That you can walk in darkness and somehow have joy. That you can walk in darkness and somehow have any strength over sin at all. You see, the second lie, look at verse 8. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we say we don't even have sin. You see, the Gnostics, with this issue that, that matter was evil and the spirit was good, that it's, if, if I'm in, you know, and if I'm in the spirit, and they took it a little step farther. You see, gnosis is the Greek word for knowledge. Hence, the word Gnostics. And so they believe that by special revelation or special mystery or special knowledge, they could rid themselves of matter. You see, Jesus didn't come in the flesh. Hey, now that I'm in Christ, hey, I, I don't have to worry about the flesh any, anymore. It's a lie of sinless perfection. That somehow this side of heaven, you know, a believer can get to a place where you don't have to worry. They have no sin. It says we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Paul wrote this in, in Romans chapter 8. He said, for we know that the whole creation groans and labors with birth pangs together until now. And not only that, but we also who have the first fruits of the Spirit, we who are saved... Even we ourselves groan within ourselves, eagerly awaiting the adoption, the redemption of the body. In the life of a believer, our relationship to sin is that we've been saved and set free from it, yet our flesh can still walk in it. Sin does exist. It is a clear and present danger in the life of a believer. And John wanted them to know that. John wanted them to know that and deal with that so that their fellowship wouldn't be interrupted, so that they could experience the joy to its fullest. We as pastors here at, at Rocky Mountain, one of, one of our responsibilities is to perform funerals. And every once in a while, unfortunately, we have to do a funeral for someone who showed no evidence that they were a believer in Jesus Christ. There was no evidence in their life that they were saved or not. Unless you talk to mom, of course, because, you know, I mean, if mom says you're a heathen, then you're a real heathen, heathen right? But there's no evidence, and, and, so, and so we have to do this funeral, and in and, and the, and the progression of the funeral, you have friends that might come up and give a testimony about... Uh, the loved one that's, that's, that's died, and sometimes it goes something like this. Not very often, praise the Lord, but sometimes. You know, Harry. Harry was my best friend. Harry, he, he loved to party. And he, Harry partied till the day he died. I can't wait to get to heaven and party with Harry in heaven. You see, and then we're the pastor that has to follow that act. <laughs> Awkward. <laughs> because it's not the truth. Harry didn't go to that better place. That's what they always say, right? 
I know he's in a better place, regardless of what kind of person they were. Right? You don't go to a funeral and go, wow, Harry went to hell, you know. <laughs> you don't do that. <laughs> and it's tough. It's tough. Never mind the sin. It's not a factor. I know one day I'll be in a better place. John writes, we deceive ourselves with that kind of thinking. We deceive ourselves with the false teaching that sin doesn't exist. But the truth, look at verse 9. Here's the truth that we need to recognize and know about sin. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. The proper Christian attitude, perspective on sin is that we confess it, we turn away from it, we reject it, we fight against it, and then, and then look what John says that God does. He's faithful, he's just, he's forgiving, he cleanses us of every bit of it, every last one, so that fellowship with God becomes forsaking of sin. The precious gift that he's given us to deal with sin is repentance and forgiveness. That was the message of John the Baptist. Repent and believe. That was a message of Jesus. That was a message of the apostles. Repent and believe. You see, grace is grace, and grace is grace, and I, I, I can receive God's grace. And I, can, and I can believe by faith that he died on the cross for my sin, but I cannot do it if I don't repent of my sin. You see, I had, I had no work on the cross. Did you go to the cross? Did I go to the cross? No, we didn't. 100% grace of God. Taking, taking that punishment. But yet the Bible says, hey, repent and believe and receive by grace. Take sin seriously. The third lie, look at verse 10. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar. And his word is not in us. If we say we've not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. Jesus said this in Luke 18, verse 9 through 14. 9 says, He spoke a parable to those that trusted in themselves that were righteous and despised others. He's probably speaking to the scribes and Pharisees. That were, that were living life based on their, hey, I'm good. I'm all right. I'm, I'm a righteous man. I don't, you know, I don't require anything. I'm, I'm doing it all. And he spoke this parable to them. Two men went up to the temple to pray. One a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even this tax collector. I fast twice a day. I give tithes of all that I possess. And the tax collector, standing afar off, would not so much as raise his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, Jesus said, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other, for 
everyone who exalts himself will be humbled and he who humbles himself will be exalted. I tell you that this man that owned his sin went home justified, made right with God. Made right with God. And can I submit to you that there's no better fellowship with God and no more joy that I can be filled with, filled with than the day that I recognize and know I'm right with God. And the sin has gone away. But I confess it. I admit it. And then he's faithful and just to forgive the greatest of sinners. The greatest of sinners. The lie, I'm righteous. I'm not an evil person. I never killed anyone. I give to the poor. I provide for my family. At Christmas time, I put my spare change in the Salvation Army. Pot. I'm... I'm, I'm going to be okay. This is what Paul said in Galatians, but Scripture has confined or put all under sin, that the promise by faith in Jesus might be given to those who believe. And of course, Romans 3 and, 20 sin, 3, 3 and 23 all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. You see, John writes because he needed to correct this because it was very unbiblical important that we as believers know our relationship to sin and that we know unbelievers' relationship to sin so that we can help them understand the gospel of Jesus Christ. The desired outcome, his purpose for writing, look at verse 1 of chapter 2. Verse 1 of chapter 2. My little children, these things I write to you so that you may not sin. These things I write to you so that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And he himself is the propitiation for our sins. And not for ours only, but also for the whole world. The solution, the truth. I'm writing to you so that you don't sin. I don't want you to sin. But if you sin, God does have you covered. You see, propitiation means that he stepped in there. He met that righteous requirement so that we would not have to. Advocate means that one day when we find ourselves standing before the living God and should the accuser come and say, he did this and she did that and she did that and she did that, Jesus will say, no, this one is mine. No, this one is mine. He's covered. She's covered. A advocate to stand up for us in heaven if we repent and believe. If we repent and believe. You see, John had a purpose for writing. The Holy Spirit had a purpose for writing Scripture. The Holy Spirit had a purpose for God's Word. In Isaiah 55, the Lord, the Lord says this in 55.10, For as the rain comes down and the snow from heaven, and do not return there, but water the earth, and make it bring forth bud, that it may give seed to the sower and bread to the hearer. It's going to rain. It's going to snow. The crops are going to use it. It's, it's, it's not just going to come down because it looks good. It has its purpose. 
That's what he's saying. And then he goes on to say this. So also shall my word be that, be that goes forth from my mouth. It shall not return to me void, but it shall accomplish what I please, and it shall prosper the thing for which I sent it. You see, John wrote with this purpose in mind that you would have better fellowship, a deeper fellowship, a real fellowship, real joy in your life as a Christian, real strength against sin, real understanding about what sin is and what it can do and what Jesus has done about it. The word this morning is, has gone out for a purpose in my life and in your life as we've had fellowship and Bible study. Will you let it accomplish what it's set out to accomplish? Because what God wants is to change you and to change me. To cause us to be deeper in fellowship. To cause us to recognize, I need to get here at 11 o'clock. I can't miss it. You see, what, what if for one Sunday... James and John and Paul and Matthew and Bartholomew and, and the apostles, they just could come out. Would you guys stand in and be the apostles this morning for me? What if they just came out and they just hung out right there and they were there at 11 o'clock when worship started? Do you think they'd enter in to worship? Oh, yes, they would. Why? They touched him. They felt him. They know and John says, I want you to have that kind of relationship. I want you to have that kind of motivation in your life. I want you to have that kind of strength against sin because you know how real God is in your life. And you've entered into fellowship through worship and praise and Bible study and fellowship. And then one day serving if you don't currently serve. Motivation, God's purpose, John's purpose for his word, fellowship with God, fullness of joy, strength in forsakening sin, assurance of eternal life, continued belief in Jesus Christ. I'll say this sentence one last time. Fellowship with God brings great joy, keeps us from sin, assures us of salvation. Assures us of salvation. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for our time together and we thank you for your word and Lord we do Lord you spoke that parable for a reason that we might understand that Lord if we'll just, we'll just come before you and repent of our sin Lord that you'll, you'll be faithful and just to make us right with you I pray Father that for each and every one of us this morning Lord we repent of that sin and Lord give us strength Lord, help us to find that fellowship that we need. Lord, indeed, we want, we want that joy of fellowship. I pray, Father, uh, that we'd find new strength because of your word over sin and the understanding of it, that we'd stay far from it. Lord, build us up as, as a congregation, as a body of believers in you, and we'd stand on your word and stand on truth. Know the difference between a truth and a lie. 
God, we thank you this morning for the fellowship we've had in you. I just ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.